Welcome to Talking In Stations, a podcast about EVE Online. This is recorded live. I'm your host, Madderall. So today we're going to go back into the abyss. That's what we started last week, and we're going to finish it this week. We'll also get you caught up on news that happened all around EVE. Uh, first, I want to introduce the guests that are here today and uh, the host and the panel. And I guess they're all the same for me. Um, but we'll start with Ashtarathi. Greetings, fellow Empyreans. I am Ashtarathi, CEO of Adorn Robotics and commander of FedUp. And I am glad to be here. And we have uh, with us again, Elise Randolph. Hello, hello. I'm Elise Randolph. Uh, I, I fly internet spaceships with Pandemic Legion. And uh, I'm really happy to be here, too. As we were saying earlier, you still have the Fan Fest Afterglow. I absolutely do. I, I absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. And joining us again is Carneros. Hello, everyone. I'm Carneros. I'm the CEO of The Bastion. I fly internet spaceships with the Imperium, and uh, we fly around in circles a lot. It's great. It's great fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to talk about Imperium because you guys are doing stuff up north, and I think you guys have. The Bastion in particular have uh, deployed, which would be interesting. Lots of little chunks have, have deployed. Bastion and Lawn did a joint deployment this time. But there are also little SIGs up there. And, uh, well, this, the SIGs aren't that little. Some of them are little, but some of them are pretty good size. Like mm-hmm. Asher's group. You don't want to mess with those guys in a dark alley. No kidding. Well, I know you work for Daybreak, and Daybreak has been in the news, and so I was wondering it's what that crazy experience week. is like. It's been a crazy yeah. week. Do you want to tell us about it? Yeah, uh, yeah I don't mind. I don't mind. Um, I do. I kind of want to back up a little bit, too, because there were some crazy articles earlier in the week about Russians having their assets seized by the U.S. government and businesses being told they can't deal with them anymore, and one of them was Columbus Nova. And, Okay, well, let's back up for a little bit. Yeah. I don't want to go all the way back to when the CEO of Sony Online Entertainment met me at eFanFest in Reykjavik and uh, decided he wanted to hire me. I don't want to go back that far, but I want to go back to Sony Online days when I'm working there. And he actually picked up two more people at that FanFest and brought them out there too. Uh, But but we'll, we'll skip that. We're... He, he finds out from Sony parent company that he needs to sell this company off, Sony Online Entertainment. Sony bought it and then 20 years later sold it again. So it had been a separate company before at one point, And he's inviting people through to come and look at the books and talk to them, see the new products in development and sell the company. And he's doing this for months. And everybody in the industry knows that it's going on and why it's going on. And one of and some of them are game companies coming through, uh, and especially Chinese ones with a lot of money. And then some of them were investment firms. And in this particular time, these guys come through from a Russian uh, uh, Russian investment company called Col- uh, well, Columbus Nova is not Russian, but they're owned by a Swiss-based group called Renova that is owned by you know, Russian slash Ukrainian billionaires. These guys look at it. They decide to buy it. The transaction starts to be prepared as final documentation. And at some point along the way, they decide instead of buying it from Columbus Nova money, let's buy it from our own money. Let's make it, let's switch it to a private deal. 
they don't happen to uh, make that clear to the rest of the company. So only upper management has any idea that, that this is happening. And they, we, they just let people think that Columbus Nova bought them. So, you know, this week we see these uh, articles, this past week we see these articles come out about freezing the assets. And we all looked at each other and I forwarded it to my boss and she forwarded it to her boss. And they came back and said, yeah, it doesn't affect us because we're not actually owned by Columbus Nova. We're all like, what? Yeah, so that was the fr- that was the surprise, and the timing was terrible because we were just in the middle of announcing that H one Z one has a PlayStation four port that is about to come out, it's a PlayStation four version. The narrative's all the way off track. Then we, a couple of the executives that we had let uh, go the week before happened to mention something on Facebook about starting something new. And then there's press coverage about these guys leaving. And then that's bad timing. And then on Thursday, they had a big layoff. Almost a hundred people or maybe a hundred out of uh, uh, our office, which was only about, I don't know, 250. So it's a big impact. Yeah. Uh, My team got, uh, uh, the, the game I'd been working on got put on hold and we got told to pivot to go work on someone else's game to help them get up to speed first. Then we could go back to our game. Uh, so they didn't need, they didn't need producers on that role. So I got laid off too. So end of June, uh, I won't be a, a daybreak employee anymore. So if you know any good positions out there, I'm Carneros and game, send me an email. We'll talk. How about a, a permanent position with talking in stations? You can take over this whole thing. Get oh, the, dear Lord. The, the whopping Patreon money. <laughs> the, the only consolation that I can say is that right now is a really good per- time to be a game, de- you know, a game dev with some chops in the market. Almost yeah. 25 years. 25 years in November. Yeah. Well, I just don't worry about you, Carneros, because uh, I know you personally, so it's... I don't worry about it, but I'm I'm uh, I'm sad that you're going through that situation. It's all good. It always is. I, I'm not even sad. It's all good. Oh, good. I'll take my cues from you. Maybe Torfi can get you an inside with Microsoft. Nice, nice. I do know some good Microsoft people. A few people have poked me. You'd be surprised. I'm not uh, surprised. People, uh, the 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 first one to poke me was CCP Seagull. Oh, that, that surprised me. Yeah. She's wow. she's moving over to Unity, which yeah. is, I guess, also news. Well, I was did, super sad to hear that she's leaving CCP, but I'm also super excited to hear that she's moving to Unity. Well, when she and I worked together at CCP, she was uh, producing, uh, she was managing a group that were producing tools for game dev at CCP, internal tools. Right. So she kept them all on schedule and she you know, kept them all focused and moving forward and knew what was going on and ran a tight ship. And um, uh, Unity makes tools for building video games. Uh, they're yep. one of the big engines right now. Uh, one hears about them and Unreal in most conversations. Uh, and those, you know, so that's an important key position. She's going to know about all kinds of games in development all over the industry. Uh, she would be a great fit for them. But- 
additionally, um, like you're right, all that stuff about unity, you're right. But uni- 2018 is supposed to be a very big year for unity and blender. Um, you know, unity's just released their, um, their new video, which showed off their physics, physics based rendering. They've got a whole new pipeline. They just released the release candidate for their newest version of unity, like two days ago. So they're right on the precipice of doing even more exciting things. So I'm excited to see what, what Siegel brings to the the table. The reason she picked them was because of their location in Copenhagen. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. She's going to, um, live closer to her extended family in Sweden. Uh, and, and, you know, from what I'm understood as a beautiful part of Sweden too. And then she's going to commute across to Copenhagen. Why would you move away from ice, the beautiful Iceland? (laughs) As an American, I believe that beautiful place in Sweden is kind of redundant to say. Yeah. Well, family, that's why they're up to, they're up to two kids now. So, uh, I, I don't know if I would try to raise two kids without my extended family around. Uh, that sounds that sounds crazy. And yeah, my understanding is that the trip from where she's going to be living in Sweden to Copenhagen is actually a relatively like normal commute. So, good luck to her, and good luck to you. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, we yeah. derailed your show. No, I love this, uh, and, and actually, I wanted to go into Siegel, um, but I did want to point out that yeah, Sweden and Copenhagen, I guess, are a bridge apart. So it's like a normal commute, as if you lived in the East Bay and were going to San Francisco to work. It's not a big or a ferry. I imagine mm-hmm. yeah. that would be that right. would be fun. Unity is all about distributed development, right? Like the whole one of the biggest values of Unity is the fact that you only have to focus on the piece that you want because you know it's so kind of compartmentalized, and the asset store allows you to sell and buy uh, the pieces that you need. So, I mean, the idea that she would be able to work remotely when she needs to, or you know, all that kind of stuff. Either way. Well, let's talk about CCP Siegel because you all know her. You've all met her. And she is now uh, the leaving uh, Eve Online. She was the executive producer for the last, I believe, four years. And before that, she was, uh, I think she actually came in to introduce the Carbon Engine. That's how long ago she was. Eight years ago, she joined CCP. Yeah. But her forte, and I may be mistaken because I I don't know how she works in anything, but her forte was uh, being kind of a strong project manager and allowing, I think she said this, groups to have the stuff that they needed to do their work. So she was just kind of facilitating the groups and making sure they had, you know, all the resources they needed. Well, she's a strong advocate of, of participation based design. Um, she actually, not as CCB Siegel, but as Annie, she did several lectures in major circles about that kind of thing where, which is about breaking down the walls between, you know, like, like the development team and, See, uh, and the the player base or the user base, as it were. Uh, one of the really strong examples that she gave of like tangible versions was that they removed the CCP logo from the trailers because, as she put it, it was like, "Hey, we I got something cool to show you, but first, this is us." And and she said that she didn't want it to be about the company. She wants it to be about the product and about the people and about the experiences that are in it. And so. It's kind of subtle, but there was this shift away from like, isn't CCP so cool to isn't Eve so cool because it allows you to do these cool things in it. And I think a lot of that shift of philosophy came from her leadership. 
Yeah, it's actually very modern because uh, we were just, I work in an ad agency and we were talking about, um, we had this big company presentation. When they do it, they do like TED Talks, but internal. And so they were talking about advertising and how to appeal to Gen Z it is now and that kind of stuff. And a lot of this, um, you know, what what are people interested in and how to, how to be not viral necessarily, but how to be um, authentic, which is very important and how to give people the incentive to actually share your content. And one of the things they said was, it can't be about what you think is interesting. It's got to be about what they think is interesting, what's worth their time to define themselves. All this stuff goes together. It's get out of the way of identity and let people actually um, be the ones to form identity based on the product you're giving. So in other words, it's all about the players. Right. And like I said, over the last four years, you've definitely seen much more focus, not just in the design, but just in the way that CCP presents. Howie, he got zapped by the el- electrical lord. Yeah, it was just a pause for a second, but you're back. All right. Uh, don't be so sure he's back. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> okay, well, this is good. We're going to uh, take a moment to actually say that we have one more guest joining us today, and that is Bard Ghost Isu. Is that how you say it? Yeah, I mean, I've always said it as Isu, but it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it's my uh, it's my Spanish side coming out. Ah, it's fine. Uh, hello, everyone. Tell oh, us where you're from real quick. Um, I am now in the Bastion with Carneros and Commander Ace. What? Yes, I moved three weeks ago. Um, I just wanted a bit of change of scenery with the game. Welcome. Well, that's awesome. I didn't know that. But you were with CVA at one time, and then you were actually with uh, Legacy. I was with Warped Intentions, who were originally part of Provi Block, moved to Legacy back last October, November. Yeah. All right. Well, we have you here for later on the show when we talk about Abyssal Space. You've been busy on the test server, and we're going to catch up to all that in just a few minutes. That's fine. But first, um, are we finished with talking about... I think we got a little off track. We were talking about Seagull, but uh, we need to transition into news now. Are you back, Astrothy? Why not? <laughs> I'll take that as a yes. I thought I'd been here the whole time, so. No, you actually, we, you, you broke up, but it's okay. Oh. I'll, I'll assume you finished your point in your, uh, on your side of things. Well, Carneros. That's a good one. Yeah, I know. It always is. Carneros, thanks for sharing your story with us. And it's interesting because S... SEO was, um, sorry, SOE, Sony, Sony Online Entertainment, used to be the keeper of one of the other sandboxes, which was Star Wars Galaxies a long time ago. Uh, so a lot of people from EVE actually came from there, still looking for that sandbox experience. All right, well, let's, uh, let's get in here and get into some content. We're going to start with the biggest story on Nullsex block, which is the uh, attack against, uh, I call it a full-scale invasion now, but... Uh, People are reluctant to call it that. And that is a full-scale invasion of Guardians of the Galaxy space by the Imperium. Uh, so that's basically that is pure blind and fade in the north are pretty much under assault daily uh, by not necessarily the Imperium as a whole, but SIGs out of Goon Swarm. Uh, and it sounds like Bastion deployed too. Yeah, but we're we're not doing an invasion. At least no one told me. Uh <laughs> We're just, you know, up there flying around. It's it's mostly been roams, a little bit of gate camping, just a little bit of, oh, let's go bomb these people. 
Let's go uh, do this. Oh, you guys bring a dread bomb just in case. You know, that kind of thing. We'll, I think that's, we'll... a, that's how most invasions start, right? Like, oh, really? You just start messing around and then accidentally uh, it just keeps escalating because more people are like, man, this seems pretty fun. Uh, and they just like more people come in and then slowly but surely you just accidentally a whole region. I'm not saying darkness or guardians of the galaxy are getting anywhere close to that. But uh, it's just funny because a lot of the times when, when PL have been accused of like invading someone, we've just been down there to mess around. And then some people just start slowly bringing more stuff. And then all of a sudden a region falls by accident. Whoops. Well, our aspirations are more at the level of finding a drunk Nyx pilot, but, you know, we'll see. I don't know. I've heard that it's um, it's now like, let's see if we can actually uh, dislodge them, you know, make them lose space. Uh, so it's more than just like, let's keep them around to have some fun. It's it's let's let's actually take out some of their uh, solve. And uh, I don't know if they want to keep the solve, but they don't want guardians of the galaxies to have it i think they're trying to push to see if there can be a fail cascade at least that's what does anyone actually think pandemic legion wants the sovereign providence you know well they do for another month a lot of people think that we actually want this out like i was reading um uh some some forums and stuff from from cva people and from other uh people and legacy people they're like oh pl wants to turn this into like a weird renter farm like no, no. <laughs> those those people aren't thinking it all the way through, and, and then, no, and there's no rental farm ideas we have in Pure Blind. It's not that long ago that Goonswarm was trying to rent out Pure Blind, and and it wasn't, um, it, there wasn't a, a queue to get in there. Let's just put it that way. They they were struggling to rent out Pure Blind, if I recall correctly. Why is it yeah. the catch of the north where it's just always volatile and you can't really settle it very well? Uh, well, the galaxy has changed since then because moon fracking didn't exist and the markets have changed and a few things have changed. So it's not really an apples to apples comparison. But at the time, it was it was considered to be relatively poor true sec and relatively lower economic opportunities and, and relatively more exposed to uh, uh, low sec harassment. And I think that people just um, thought it was less exciting rental space or not what they were picturing for their corp. I don't know. Uh, at this point, I don't, you know, one, we, it's possible that there are people in the Imperium who have their eyes on outposts in pure blind, kind of like we assume Pandemic Legion has for Pravi. But that's, you know, that's the extent of my idea of what might be invasionable about this. Yeah, I think it's more of a dislodging. Let's see if we can break them. But I think it's just part of the fun for them. Uh, or for there have been some fun fights, too. Yeah. Uh, I was in one with uh, uh, Asher and the Reavers. I have a character in Reavers. And then we, <laughs> they uh, do exist. I, 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 ah! it was, maybe it was just a flash mob. I don't know. But we got in these Ishtars, and he told us, change these fits and change out these uh, uh, drones. And we got in the fleet, and they brought all these Lokis, and we were outnumbered. And they, I think they had a, a, a few triage uh, caps with them too, which is, you know, you have to be good. Uh, you know, we, we, we basically, and we all, 
we deliberately, we had fewer people. So we were outnumbered. And Asher did this, well, before we even got there, we took a bomb in the face, which sadly was a pretty good bombing run. And uh, bong in the face? Lost a, yeah, bomb. Oh, I guess. And um, we lost a few Ishtars that way. And Asher's like shaking his head, gentlemen. And then he, and then he gets us in going. And he, uh, for whatever reason, threw us at zero on the Lokis, had us each pick one by our name, <laughs> orbit it. Um, and then we were nuding it and we were uh, uh, scramming it. So newts and scrams on it. And then we were ignoring it otherwise and following primaries as he called them. Uh, and then, and you know, you got his backup FCs going, look at where you are on the grid. <laughs> you know, have some situational awareness. You know, if, if there are two of you on the same guy, one of you change and go grab someone else who doesn't have a dance partner. Okay, the problem okay, with okay. that instruction is that both people will at the same time switch to the same new target every single time, I promise you. Yeah, have you ever seen people, like they say, hey, spread out randomly. Yeah. They're all equally spaced apart. <laughs> like There's no clustering. Well, this is, this is the tricky part. This is what separates a, an intermediate pilot from an advanced pilot. We don't have any of those. Well, there but you go. We, we tried to go look. Well, we tried. You know, we tried. You know. Yeah. They give you full credit for trying. That actually reminds me, um, we were fighting a fight the other day, and we were just trying to catch a bunch of, I think it was Tengus, that were trying to warp off from us. And two people called point out of like 10 Tengus, and they both had point on the same one. So everybody else got away. And afterwards, they were like, what's the chances of us both targeting the same thing? And I'm like, well, actually, it's pretty good, because if you're targeting all of them, and bo if both of you are like just targeting them all as fast as they can, then you're both going to target the one with the biggest signature radius first. So if you then both also turn on your point as you're locking, then you're both just going to automatically point the same one because they all have the same stats or they, ha they have the same stats for both of you. That's a really neat insight. That's, that's why I target first and then lock. I don't do the, the pre-lock stuff, but then again, I'm not a tackler. All right. That's a good lesson. I like that one. And that's advanced play right there uh, for EVE Online. Uh, I'm sure at least could teach us a, a few more things too. But let's uh, talk about Pure Blind and Fade. Uh, looks like there was a SOTA that was put out by Sort Dragon. I haven't listened to it yet, but it's out there. It's also written up on uh, INN as well. They appear to be hiring Black Legion to help them. Yeah. Anyone know about and I and, and we saw them last night. There were there were some timers on the board, um, I think related to Imperium upwell structures deployed in ROIR attack. So um, there were two fleets, as I recall, that came in, and one was a uh, a Guardians of the Galaxy or Darkness fleet, and then one was a Black Legion fleet that signed in two systems over and then came in the sideway. And it was funny because. People who know the folks involved know that Black Legion are not fans of hitting structures. And but the Guardians of the Galaxy folks all went and camped the station on dock and told Black Legion to go and shoot the structures. And they were not happy about that. It was very funny. Yeah, we were all you, giggling. Uh, when you're used to shooting like four hundred horde a day and then just getting a bunch of kill mails and then 
you get asked to go shoot a structure where your guns don't really work half the time and you there's like zero chance of a fight and you have to show up again in nine days or something it uh it seems a lot less enter uh entertaining well black legion has all those uh streamers in there now too so and they can't really hope for you know people to undock and fight them if the undock is camped so they're you know they're like this is all this is going to be tonight oh well shoot the structure guys that still hasn't stopped keep star after keep star falling in the last week oh but that's in a different part of the world uh, i'll get to that in just a second but uh, and what I meant by uh, you have streamers in, in the same group, Black Legion, it's, uh, you know, they want to see some action, not a structure going down. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But the, right, the idea of hiring Black Legion is not a bad one. The sword, no, not at all. Sword Dragon's strengths are, uh, well, no, Guardians of the Galaxy strengths are more AU time zone and EU time zone. And Black Legion is a U.S. time zone group. So it kind of uh, can help complement their their uh, forces around the clock. I mean, there's some logic to it, and they're available for sale and that kind of thing. And apparently, Sort went drag- drinking with someone. That's what he said on the on the Sota. I listened to it. Shh. Well, one of the things one of the things that people need to know about Eve Online is it's a 24 hour game basically. So you need to have time co- time zone coverage. Uh, or it'll be a back and forth. They win during the U.S. time zone. You win during the EU time zone. And I think it's always been that way. Actually, a funny question, at least maybe you can answer it. Has that changed much over the years? Um, so it, it's always been that uh, if you want to defend your structures and you're a little bit weaker than you, militarily than, than your neighbors, if you time it for AU time zone and have a really strong Australian time zone, uh, then you'll basically be able to sit there unmolested for for as long as you want. Um, in Eve, basically the all the good fights, the best fights, generally happen uh, in that little sweet spot between I'd say nineteen hundred and and twenty two hundred uh, Eve time, which is basically when uh, you can still get euros and the Americans start to show up as well. Uh, and so that's when basically everyone hits critical mass is, is around like 2200. So if you want a big brawl, you would time it for around uh, 21, 2200. Right. All right. So then um, in addition to that, NC has deployed uh, to get he, as we know, and they are making some havoc, I guess, in Quarius. Uh, have you guys been affected by any of that? Or is that even on your radar? Oh, there's, yeah. If you've, because like the bastion doesn't move all of our guys up, up north for a deployment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you got extra alts, you can go do stuff in one DQ and uh, out of delve and, and go do on some of that things. Sure. Especially super caps. I love it when they call for super caps and then we can, um, cause we didn't bring our super caps up north so we can undock and go do stuff in Quarius and come back. Why do you like it when uh, the north calls for super caps? No, no. I like it when they call for super caps oh, in the south. Because uh, right now, that's where they're calling for that. Is, um, if, if there's a ping on the Imperium that says super caps, yeah, okay. it's, it's, they're forming up in Delve and they're going somewhere right nearby. So that's kind of the, the reversal situation, isn't it? Like in the north, uh, you have the NCPL, Guardians of the Galaxy, super cap umbrella that's keeping the area contained, the damage contained to a certain level. And in the south, you have the same thing with Imperium. That's where their super caps are. The last time we saw these two groups, the super cap groups, 
come together was nine tack four and that turned into a stalemate uh so maybe this is like how war is going to be in the future is uh, is excursionary expeditionary kind of stuff i think a, a lot of it is the people that control the space right now they have no need for more space and actually getting more space becomes a detriment uh to the fact to the point where you know you're basically completely saturating uh, for the uh, for Imperium. It's they're they're in the south. You know they they've got Delve and they're like blending into to Fountain and bleeding into Queers a little bit. If they took space somewhere else, they can't really utilize that space. Um, and then there's the chance of losing space, which becomes a, a weird sort of morale hit, uh, which you definitely don't want. It makes I know logically it makes no sense. Um, but losing space that you're not using at all is still a, a hit to your morale more so than like losing a fight or something like that. I agree. I actually agree on all of that, that we're, um, we, you know, we're not even using Delve fully yet. If you're a new corp and you just join the Imperium and you show up culturally, you're going to freak out at how crowded the place feels at first. It feels like you're in Jita or something. There's people everywhere and you're looking for um, a place where you can, um, you know, find a quiet corner maybe. But once you get there and get used to the rhythm of the place, you realize that, wow, there is a lot we can still do in this place. Our 16 moons are valuable right now in today's economy. This is no secret. Uh, put Athenors on all of them and frack those. You need to, you know. And yeah. uh, PI is also quite quite profitable as well. It's one of those like odd secrets that many Eve like Eve veterans, people who played before PI existed, generally don't do PI all that much. Uh, that I found, like I have like one moon that I uh, or one planet that I like tend to every quarter by accident because I forget about it. <laughs> But I was talking to some uh, some people who started playing after PI, and they're like, "Yeah, I make like a plex a month just managing my planets. It's super easy. I don't know why like more people don't do it." Yeah, well, do there's, it on a, your own there's an over overhaul coming to fix at least some of the problems as to why people don't do it. Yeah, exactly. But but I mean, it's it's Eve Online. The 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 notion that people don't do it because it's boring, I don't think holds that much uh, water, right? Because yeah. Uh, Eve players will just do the most inane, mind-numbing stuff yeah. uh, to make just <laughs> well, more, like more 5% more one than someone else. Yeah. One man's inconvenience is another man's opportunity. Yeah, there you go. That's what it boils down to. Uh, the, one, the one thing I will say is that you also need to pay attention when you're thinking about these things. you got to pay attention to what CCP's goals are because that's going to tell you whether or not this is a problem that they're going to fix or something that they're trending towards. And if you remember when NullSec was being revamped, uh, the challenges were progression and, and some of the things that were talked about were farms and fields, cities and space, and these kinds of concepts. And so he, just hearing you guys describing how Null works, I, what I'm hearing is Null has become what, we said, what they said that Null would become. And in that sense, I think it's only going to become more like this, not less. Although you do see variations between regions. I mean, what you see in Delve, you do not necessarily see in Fade or Pure Blind. Right. Well, but I mean, like concepts like it's not worth it to expand any further, right? So 
Yeah. One of the big things was how are we going to make space Luxembourg? Because back then projection was so easy and ownership was so uh, critical that basically there wasn't space for a small empire to exist. You know, uh, Gal Mill now owns uh, most of Cloudering. That wouldn't have even been remotely possible in the old NullSec. It seems like that kind of density of riches, let's put it that way, uh, is, is made for a game that has even more people than Eve has right now. Well, uh, it's, just, it's the fact that systems now build up instead of out, right? Yeah. It used to be that you had to own a ton of systems. But with the ADM mechanics and the way it worked, or well, actually, I mean, it's always been kind of this way. But effectively, the more you work a system, the more valuable that system is, the more it will support people. Yeah. Well, it's interesting when you see the MER, the monthly economic report, and you look at the graphs and they have bar graphs and you see like Jita's way up there and you see Delve is way up there and Amar too. Uh, that, those are the skyscrapers to me, like metaphorically. Those are the, uh, that's the inner city with uh, the skyline. And by the way, this is why I don't mind the structure spam in, in high sec. Like some people are complaining like, oh, my overview is crowded. I'm like, yeah, you're in the city, right? <laughs> yeah. It should be crowded. Yeah, and then when you get away from that, you feel the ah, oh, I can relax of the countryside. Exactly. You know, the letter. Yeah, I got you. All right, so that is kind of what's going on in the pure blind fade area with the Guardians of the Galaxies. That is what's going on up there. In the drone regions, there's little news that uh, the secondary effects of the drone, the drone Russians, I drone guess, or XX unit. death. Yeah. Well, drone control unit disbanded. And uh, XX Death retreated to two southern parts of drone regions. So the drone regions are now transitioning to new ownership. And you have Volta taking like Owasa and those areas in the middle. Hard Knox is taking like Cobalt Edge. Those are, that's a wormhole group, but they're a very powerful wormhole group. And then you have uh, Pizza and Pasty uh, taking Paragon Falls in that area. So they're kind of splitting up the. Uh, territory. I don't know what they're going to do with it, except maybe pick up some of those stations that are there on the 6th, um, on May 6th, when they transition over to something valuable. Yeah, and they'll probably try and pump out as much money as they can uh, for as long as they would. They just want to be absentee, like basically slum landlo- uh, slumlords, yeah. which is uh, like a super legit, I, I make it sound like it's not. No, I like that. It's a super legit tactic to have. And it's something that's, you know, I'm glad it finally happened because uh, the drone drone Russian Federation, the DRF up there, has been holding that lands and that space for way, way too long. And they basically, from what I understand, were just holding it until someone took it and then they would just wash their hands of it. Like they had no intention of being able to hold it. Uh, they kind of reduced their footprint a little bit, moved to some better space. They're like, you know what, we'll hold this space while we can, get some money out of it, get some assets out of it. Uh, but if it falls, it falls. You know, it's not a, a huge, uh, huge well, uh, mess for us. The Guardians of the Galaxies attacked uh, drone regions in the northern part, and they were repelled. Uh, so they looked pretty strong then that they could actually hold their. I know they've changed, but they could hold their space at least at that time. And yeah, now, that was um, that was in a little bit beforehand, uh, before they before the basically the core of uh, DRF decided that they want to move a little bit further south uh, to cash and impasse and, and just hang out over there. Uh, and that's going to be sort of their, that's going to be their, uh, their delve, if you want to say it that way. Oh, I see. Did they go down to finish off Triumvirate 
afterwards and that's kind of why they settled down there or they just like that space better um part of the reason was to to stump out uh to snuff out triumvirate because you know if you're just putting all of your forces on that front it's gonna it's gonna make it hard for them to to do these little pick maneuvers that they were having a lot of success with um but at, at some point they realized you know what this is smarter for us we are not as big and mighty as we were before and holding a lot of space is kind of uh Opened, uh, opened our eyes to some weaknesses, why other people don't do it this way anymore. Yeah. Are they the last group to have space that they can't really defend in the traditional yeah, way? Yeah, more or less. Uh, like uh, when basically when Phoebe was announced, you saw all the major coalitions just like shedding space. Um, PL shed their entire rental empire. Uh, in fact, ceding it, almost all of it to, uh, to X-Death. Um, or selling it rather, and then uh, uh, the goons and the CFC kind of shed a lot of extra space. They shed Fountain and at the time Delve, oddly enough, mm-hmm. uh, and just everyone just started shedding all their extra space because they were like, "No, we don't need this." Uh, the reason that we had it before was because um, the Dominion mechanics were basically the more space you had, the better buffer it was for an invasion. Because you would have to take the space leading up to it, and taking space is kind of mind-numbing and a grind. So, get rid of it. Yep, the Bastion had uh, all of Vale of the Silent until Phoebe, and then we shrunk down to half of it. Gave the one side to Lawn, get off my lawn, and gave one constellation to Circle of Two. Well, that worked out for them. They used it. They used it for a while. Oh, they're back. So we'll we'll keep going here. The CO2 uh, put up a keep star. Uh, they have a little... They're in that same area, the border region of Vale and Gemini. Ironically, they're not in the part of Vale of the Silent that we gave them last time. <laughs> they're instead in the lawn section, which was over next to the Gemini border. Well, they can't complain. They just put up a keep star. So it looks like they're making a home. And in the south, you have CVA picking up a couple systems. And actually, I believe there was a dread bomb just now against Pandemic Legion. Yeah, there was uh, a, a bait that kind of went awry. Uh, <laughs> the wrong people took the bait. <laughs> so ended up losing a Oracle and a Hell and traded some dreads for it. Yikes. Well, what is that? They, they picked up a couple systems. Is that just, um, is this the beginning of an invasion? It must be. It must be. No, but um. so there's basically when we took over this space, the ADMs started to suffer quite a bit. And the ADMs in Providence were all already quite low, like two and three, and, and they had a hard time getting the ADMs up. But now the ADMs have dropped pretty substantially almost everywhere um, to ones and twos, which means there's lots of, you know, uh, a CVA gang can go out and to make a lot of headway just by doing a little bit of intosising. They'll lose it in the next week, and then they'll gain it back, and there's just going to be a little bit of a tug-of-war for a few systems there. Um, but I think that tug-of-war is going to continue to happen, and it's actually going to escalate. I think more people are going to get involved uh, the closer to June we get. Because if you control the, that system or that station on June the 5th, you get to have a between 20 and 40 billion-esque structure, so might as well, yeah. especially when the ADMs are zero. There's very little risk in Providence. You can. It's similar to why um, Pure Blind is generally considered kind of garbagey, right? Because it's so close to NPC space. 
Uh, anyone can live out there and harass it. And it's really easy to, to mess with. The, the two sec is awful. So renters don't want to live there and stuff like that. Um, it's like uh, it's entry level space in a way. But yeah, since it's going to be really close to Empire, I think there's going to be a lot of little uh, Intosis action, which, you know, it gets kind of a really bad rap uh, of like an unfun dynamic. But it's mm-hmm. not actually that bad if you're, especially with the changes they made to Intosis pretty recently. Right. I got updated. So right. we, we've been being pretty uh, harassed pretty regularly by Tissue for about a month now. So I have become very intimately familiar with the Intosis mechanic. Um, and I will say this, I, regardless of whether or not you think it's fun, it feels realistic, right? Like just listening to comms, listening to my alliance conduct an intosis operation really feels like a real operation with, with people scanning in different areas. Scouts are out, there's tripwires, there's a roaming fleet. There are people reporting back and forth to each other. It really feels lively, even when there isn't a fight. So, um, yeah, I don't know if I have anything more to say about it than that. But I think it, um, people's big issue with it is the counterplay is uh, is not really there. So, like, uh, or rather, it doesn't really seem uh, suitable for for what you're actually doing. You're like taking space, and the counterplay for a long time has been just griffins. Just like 400,000 is Griffin just spamming them to break the Intosis link so the guy has to start over, you know? So See, I keep uh, suggesting that, and our our fleets keep forming up and fighting, so maybe we're just doing it wrong. Yeah, obviously you're doing it right. Right, possible. <laughs> Here we are patrolling our shit. All right, yeah. See, that, um, that whole immersive RP just doesn't work in the reality of things. Well, we're Speaking holding so far. Which, yeah, yeah. Yeah, actually, congratulations. Faction Warfare is... No, not congratulations, because Kaldari is actually taking space back, right? You guys are losing space in right. Faction War. So, so uh, the state have capitalized on our distraction in Null by taking basically all of the easy systems. They plexed them all up um, while we were kind of... Uh, I, I drew a line, and I said, as long as we hold the south, we're fine. And what I didn't notice was that they had plexed up everything pretty good. And so... In like this two or three day period of time, they managed to c- capture a whole bunch of uh, the systems that like nobody really owns or lives in. Now, I I try to, you know, I might be trying to sound, sound like I'm minimizing that. But what that enabled them to do was spike to tier four and then eventually tier five, which is exceptional. Like tier five is something that is, well, originally we considered it not a practical thing that anyone ever would do. And the state managed to hold it for several days and keep going kind of oscillating between four and five which means that they really really care it takes a lot of effort to uh to be able to maintain that so um they're definitely uh they are building back up at this point but the good news is is that on the seventh or the sixth because of this whole changeover thing a lot of the stuff that we are focused on in null is not going to be a thing and we're also going to get uh the warp core stab change which is coming in spite of the fact that it was announced on april 1st um and that I really like because now we can we can take the war back to faction warfare and all of the bullshit excuses are gone. Right. You know, the Caldari state tried to say that because during the last faction warfare change, we managed to hold it. They always had an uphill battle. Well, guess what? You now own the war zone. Uh, they've, they've said that workhorse stabs make it so it's not so fun. So they're only going to be farming. Guess what? That's now going to be taken out. 
you know, all of the excuses as to why Galente have always been strong and the Caldari have always been weak have been removed off the table. So on June 7th, we're hoping to really get a full on fair fight for the war zone. A couple questions. One by Ray Silent there saying, what, what do you mean by uh, plexed up? Ah, my bad. Uh, so in faction warfare, it's uh, there are these King of the Hill sites called uh, complexes, which have to be ran. And every site that gets completed, it's kind of like Entosis, but on a longer scale. So instead of Entosis nodes that appear, sometimes these these nodes are always there. And then when you run them, it raises up the contested value of the system. And when the contested value of the system gets to 100, then that system is vulnerable and can be taken by the enemy. So, um, you know, so basically what they did was they ran a lot of plexes. So they got the contested value high in a lot of systems, but they didn't take any. So uh, when I looked at my war zone map, I saw a whole bunch of green and I'm like, this is fine. Um, but then because everything got to about 60, 70, 80% contested, it made it so that more and more systems could fall with less than a day's warning. Yeah. And the second question is the uh, uh, warp stabs. How's that changing things? Yeah. So um, basically there's this philosophy that everybody in uh, plexes are just using stabs and will warp off because you can't catch them. Warp core stabs make it so that you're, you're, it's a stabilizer. So that way when you point somebody, they can still warp off because you've only got like one point of disruption on them and they've got two points of stability so they can just warp off. Um, a lot of people do that in plexes as a way to avoid fights as opposed to actually defend themselves. And so it's kind of gotten this really bad uh, just propaganda against it, especially by people like Rick Javix and other pirates that just really want to come in here and kill people. The removal of it will make it so that it's easier to catch people that are unaware, but it also removes the psychology and the excuse there. What it will happen is uh, when you land on the acceleration gate, if you try to activate the gate and you've got warp core stabs fit, the acceleration gate just won't work. It's the same as if you were in a rookie ship or a pod or a ship that's too big. It'll just deny you. While you're in there, right? Like you can't just right. go in and drop You, you could refit if you wanted to. And we've talked about this. If you, you know, there is that option, but really like, let's think about that in the practical, right? So you're dealing with a 10 or 15 minute site. So you're going to warp in, drop your MTU, and then refit in your frigate, all just so that you can have warp core stabilizers. The God honest truth is protection already exists. There's an acceleration gate and you can descan to like 100 kilometers. So that way you can, or sorry, 100,000. So you can see the acceleration gate. So I can know if anybody's going to come in. The only people that use the warp core stabilizers are the people that are literally not paying attention and waiting until they get caught to try to escape. So. It, it, you could still theoretically make stabs work in plexes, much like you can still make cloaking kind of work in plexes, but they've made it annoying enough that it's not really going to be a valid strategy. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, so uh, Ray Silent says, did they ever fix the bug where you can heal overheated mods in depots in mid-space? I didn't know that was a bug. I'll assume that we don't know either, so uh, write that in the forums and see what they say. Let's move on to a little bit of game news. There's been a series of DDoS attacks against EVE Online. So people haven't been able to really play because it's been going up and down. At least it was really bad a few days ago. It seems to be tapering off. There was a rumor that it was somebody mad at the changes. I had heard a rumor that the DDoS attack corresponded exactly with the Keepstar's vulnerability. But yes, that's the other rumor I heard. Um, so just to be clear, a DDoS is what's called a, deni a distributed denial of service attack, 
what ends up happening is um, you have a cluster of computers, either voluntarily or because they've been zombified by some virus or whatever. You have them all simultaneously attempt to gain access or ping or whatever, a specific server. And uh, servers are not designed to be able to deal with that many concurrent requests. And so they end up just failing. Yeah, and essentially it locks everybody out of the game. Okay, um, Reddit mods are under fire, it looks like. I guess there's some stuff going on there. Also, I wanted to make this announcement. Make sure that you have your Omega account status, and that means that you've paid the 15 bucks or paid with Plex before May 6th. I believe that is when they award the ships. Uh, so you and want there's to make a special sure. running until tomorrow where you can get it uh, Omega for uh, fewer Plex than normal. Right. So that means right now is the best time to buy because you're getting it at a discount for the next month, and that leads you right into the game time period that you'll need in order to get these new ships. So it's kind of like a gift on top of a gift. So right now, and I'll try to get this out as soon as possible, this podcast, but this weekend is 25, 15% off sale. If you're paying with Plex for Omega status. If you're, if you're a bitter and jaded businessman, you can think of it as trying to juice up their April numbers. But if you're a romantic individual, (laughs) you can think about the the annual gift that they'd really like to give you the better gift if you kindly get up to Omega status before tomorrow at downtime or sometime. Again, that's 425 plex instead of 500 plex. Take advantage of that as quickly as possible. It's just this weekend. I suspect. Uh, and I, sorry, I, I was just going to say, I suspect that it has something to do with the fact that they understand that once somebody goes Omega, the chances of them staying Omega or at least trying to stay Omega goes up. So it's not just to pad their numbers, but it's also a nice little synergy of, hey, you should if, if you've been wanting to check out Omega, now is the time. Plus, if you do go back to being alpha, the skills that you just trained as the Omega are still likely to be useful for you. So that you, you get a little something residual as a benefit. That's right. And that is a little more complex than yeah. probably CCP wants it to be. But the point is that you can have 20 million skill points, but you can't get to 20 million skill points when you are not paying for the game. Not easily. So the other thing that's important about June 6th is that's when the outposts actually transition. It's a a one-time event where these outposts will transition to Faction Fortizars. Um, That's been covered quite a bit by this show, but we keep repeating that date because it's a big, big date. So that's June 6th. Uh, All right. Now let's go into Into the Abyss. Uh, We wanted to cover this a little bit deeper than we did before. So Into the Abyss has a few features. This is the next expansion coming. I believe it's coming at the end of this month, is it? May 27th? May 29th. May 29th. Okay. End of this month. Before before June 6th. Yeah. There's a new expansion. And so you want to look at what's actually coming in it. There is a whole new variation on, and I guess it would be PVE stuff, which is Abyssal Dead Space, where you can get some some interesting new items we'll talk about in a second Uh, but it's also a new way of missioning Uh, we also want to talk about um, the uh, pi changes those are quality of life changes which means they're making it a lot easier to actually do planetary interaction which is basically planet mining a lot Uh, is a very big stretch uh, did i say a lot it's a lot easier (laughs) okay well i think it's well yeah we'll see not everything's been announced there but we'll check that out next there's also um 
comprehensive career viewer, which shows your experience in a graphical form. So you can actually see like where you've spent most of your time, which is kind of an underrated uh, thing. We can talk about that in a minute. Uh, yeah. And then there's this thing, Operation uh, Conscious Interrupt. That happens on May 2nd. I think that's uh, a little bit after. Um, but that's the new event, live event, as they call it. Right. And, it, it, so that live event yeah. is actually directly tied to the um, the gifts for the 15-year anniversary, by the way. Oh, okay. Like thematically and lore-wise. So SOCT, the ships that are being given away are the Society of Conscious Thoughts ships because those are the ships that get given away for all of the sort of things, you know, the Gnosis, the Praxis, et cetera. Uh, but, just so um, we know, these are kind of the Jovian alien space-looking uh, ships that you get as gifts every once in a while from CCP. Go ahead. They're literally the golden ships that don't require skills. I don't understand how nobody has figured that out yet, but either way. Um, so the the SOCT are, um, anyway, they are trying to distribute these new ships to us uh, via the contract system or whatever, and they're trying to get things from one point to another, but they're under attack by the drifters. So we're going to have to defend SOCT uh, transportation facilities against drifter attacks such that we can get our gifts. That's the kind of the theme of the of the next event. And so the drifters actually fit into this additional story coming in with Abyssal Space because the drifters are facing a new enemy for them that's actually wiping them out. And those are the, I don't know, Trigs. I call Triglavians. them Triglavians. Triglavians, yeah. So you guys want to tell us about Triglavians and Abyssal Space? Okay, so first of all, I'm going to say that a lot of the the lore of this sort of stuff is very much unknown at this point. So, you know, whatever, we're not going to go into that. But basically, as I think we've talked about before, Abyssal Dead Space is three room uh, instance dungeons that take about 15 minutes for uh, for players to go through. And um, there's five different tiers of difficulty. However, all Abyssal Dead Space requires only cruisers. So it doesn't matter if it's tier one or tier five. You, it's the same ship class that's allowed into it. Um, there's a lot of other things that are different about it. They've they've control they have control of the camera. They have control over a lot of the other stuff to give you a much more immersive feeling. But fundamentally, this is supposed to be a new PVE uh, encounter environment to use the new AI to use all of the new systems that they've been building the last few years to provide good PVE. In particular, for people that are just leaving the NPE, but really for everybody. Does it seem like uh, this is, remember they, uh, Siegel said, we're going to do a big push towards PVE stuff. Does this look like maybe it wasn't ready in time and it was pushed off at, this, you know, at a later well, time? Well, yeah, I mean. Because what was the expansion? What was the expansion with the PVE stuff that came through? Uh, the original Tyrannus was the wars? PI? No, just like the, the the expansion before this one, arms race, the one with resource wars. Yes, that arms race one. I can never remember the title, but that one was supposed to be a PVE push, wasn't it? Like we're gonna focus on PVE and kind of in high sec. That was the fan fest before this last one. They said that was the direction they were going, Correct. and then then came out Satios and the yeah forward operating bases and the resource wars, and that was all PVE stuff. And then this dropped, and it kind of feels like this was not ready in time, so they kind of kept working on it. I actually just think this is, this is a response to Resource Wars. An evolution. Because Resource Wars, if you think about it, was PVE by the definition of, quote, what EVE is, right? 
non-instanced, open, people can come and harass it, all of those basic fun- fundamentals that, that are Eve. It's like, well, what, may, what happens if we make new PVE uh, for Eve by Eve's rules? And the answer was, nobody really liked it. Uh, now, there are plenty <laughs> of reasons why it failed. Really, there's one, volatile skins. But um, what, there's, what you're seeing now is, okay, what happens if we make PVE by our rules? You know, the, there's a lot of consternation about the about the instance nature of it. But from a design point of view, handing the designers all of the tools and saying, OK, now you can just get make me a really good experience is something that a is very powerful and b Eve does not have up until this point. So that's interesting. Oh, go ahead, Bart. I was just going to say, it's also something they've been progressively doing since they've started with the new NPCs. They developed the new AI, which was in the Drifters. They took it a step further for the CTOs, then the FOBs, and step after step with resource wars are now here and probably further still. Yeah, like, yeah, the FOBs and the Sodios also came in Arms Race. So I think that, honestly, if like this had also come in Arms Race, it would have felt incredibly packed. This feels like a good pace for like the development of the PVE, especially considering the fact that they did have a lot of trouble getting this out the gate. Like I'm sure that they would have liked all of this to have been happening two years ago, but um, you know, the Drifter AI ended up being a lot harder to wrangle than it was meant to. And it delayed the program by at least a year. Yeah. So somebody says uh, that's brisk. I think um, I should say his full name. Uh, brisk Rubal uh, asked, was there ever any, PVE that people went gaga over. And I think the incursions was pretty successful. Incursions was a big deal. People loved incursions for the first several months and then it became solved. And the problem was, is that the follow-up to incursions was in Karna. <laughs> yeah. So, so you never really got the proper love. Like, so when it first came out, it was great, but like any rating, it's great at first, but then after six months, nobody like all it is is farm content. And then it's been years since then. So. <laughs> It's it's kind of like if they had released Molten Core for WoW and then never anything else. They did. They have tuned it a little bit over the years. They they added uh, a few tweaks for Nullsec, let you bring more people for Nullsec incursions before the payouts shift and and change it. And they they let you bring caps, um, things like that. Although I have to say, uh, a a Titan in a in a site is a pain in the neck because of the the beacon thing. So you, it bounces your Titan to Egypt every time you take it <laughs> in there, and you can't bring more than one because they're all fat and they'll bounce off each other. And and then you, what are you going to do with a, a Titan zooming off it? Yeah, never mind. Mm. Right. So the comparison of Abyssal Space to the PVE that came out in uh, I forgot the name already. See. Uh, is yeah, it was an it's an evolution, right? It's a response to the stuff that didn't work. Yeah, I yeah. think that's uh, that's what's pretty nifty about it. It seems to be is it's something we've kind of as as players have always wanted. We want like iteration on on features, and we want seems to be to learn from from failures or successes. And that's what Abyssal Dead Space kind of feels like to me. I know it's getting a lot of flack from uh, some very vocal minorities about being like uh, some shitty gameplay or not, but it seems really, really fun. Like I've done a few sites. It's very different. Like uh, I, I think I said this last week, if at FanFest, they said, you know what, guys, we're going to give uh, some high sec, some, some stuff, 
we're going to give them these things called missions. They're going to be basically completely safe. You just have to shoot a bunch of mobs and uh, they're really easy to figure out. You just have to hit them in this certain order. Uh, we're going to add ratting to high sec. Yeah, yeah. So if they were like, yeah, we're going to add ratting high sec, it would be just everyone would just lose their shit. And, and we're talking about missions. So you, like in today's Eve, you can't add things like missions, but missions already exist. So now we're talking about adding a new PvE experience that, unlike incursions, you can't have a guy figure out for you and tell you what to push, right? Um, unlike uh, missions, you can't just do it in, in a beefed out Marauder and stuff like that. It's kind of interesting. It's uh, Obviously, we're going to figure it out eventually. The, the players are going to get good at it. Um, but in the meantime, we're going to be able to kind of like watch other people do it. I think, I don't know who said this uh, before, but Someone said, I think it might have actually been Dirk McGurk. He said that this is finally going to give me a reason to watch Eve streams to get to see how people do uh, these Abyssal Dead Space pockets so I can kind of like pick up on their tricks and stuff like that. Because there aren't really any tricks to, to ratting nowadays. You just you just shoot the rats, right? Um, yeah. But in this, there's like going to be a defined strategy. It's going to change every once in a while. Uh, there's not going to be like a best fit for it necessarily. Yeah. The valuable thing to it is that it changes the way that we teach Eve and it changes the way that we understand Eve. Like right now, if a new player says, how do I make money? You say, train to a VNI, get this fit, go to this site, do this thing, and then you'll have money. Those are instructions that doesn't teach any comprehension. This forces us to teach each other and to learn actually the mechanics and how it's working and, and what's going on. And more importantly, these sites are phenomenal at show don't tell, which is something that doesn't really exist in a lot of Eve. The best example I can think of, my favorite example so far is the blue clouds. So there's these blue clouds in the sites and well, there's three different kinds of clouds. Two of them are relatively bad. I haven't figured out a valuable use to them yet, but the blue clouds bloom your signature. They increase your signature by 400%. But they increase the signature by 400% of everything inside of them. So a crafty player, you know, you, you'll in investigate it. And what's going to happen is eventually you're going to fight drones because it's random. So you're going to fight these tiny little drones and you're not going to be able to deal with them. And you're going to be pissed off because you can't kill them. They're not an immediate threat to you, but they are frustrating. So that's going to cause you to start experimenting to think about how to deal with them. What's going to happen is eventually, hopefully, some of those players will wander into the blue cloud and realize that the drones die much faster when they're in the blue cloud. So now, and I can also look at my own ship and see my own ship stats and the impact of it. And I can see, hey, look, this effect that's called signature radius increase is making these drones that were tiny easy to hit as if they were big. I now understand signature radius on a level that it was never explained to me. It wasn't a block of text. It was shown to me the practical implication of it. Here's the effect on your ship. Here's the effect on the ship over there. This is what happens, and this is why you want it. Um, and that's just a small example, but there's tons of tiny examples of that within Abyssal Dead Space. And that's why I think it's a really good learning tool and as a, like a supplement to the MPE. Yeah. And, um, oh, sorry. Sorry. I was just going to say, one other key thing it will teach is no one ship is perfect for any one job. And it shows that you could take a ship in that is perfect against the drift as you fight in it, but completely gets destroyed by those drones or vice versa. So it makes you change it up. Right. And there's also no perfect ship because due to the randomness, 
Level five seemed pretty darn hard. Like I've seen a lot of people dying in it. So like, I, I think that we're going to master it at least to a certain extent. But my hope is that it's never going to be guaranteed. It's never like, here's a Demos. You can basically run level fives all you want. That's what I hope that they never do. And if it gets to that point, I hope that they change it. And after talking to CCP Rise, it sounded like that that's basically correct. They want tier threes to be kind of the, the easy to farm. And then tier fours and fives are more like challenge or, you know, like risky tiers. The burner mission version. Uh, and you did well, have an burner in- missions can be solved. <laughs> That's true. Uh, you had an interview that was really good with CCP Rise. If you haven't heard it, go and listen to it. I'm sure that people listen to this, listen to your podcasts as well. Uh, and that answered a lot of questions. Was there anything that surprised you about that interview? Um, the biggest thing that came out of it that actually caused a lot of additional consternation was that CCP Rise suggested that in their tool book, toolkit, if they have problems with Abyssal Dead Space or with Abyssal mods, one of the solutions that are under their power is that they can actually modify the base module and that will affect all subsequent dead spaces. The example was, well, if it turns out that micro warp drives, you know, Abyssal Abyssal micro warp drives are too fast, it may actually end up being that the Abyssal nature of it is too big, or maybe it's just that micro warp drives are too fast in general. And so if you nerf the base micro warp drive, then that will make it so that the abyssal stuff is by definition also nerfed as a, as a way of kind of being able to adjust the dials. They can adjust both sides of the dials. And I think that he was talking about that more from like, Hey, this just gives us more options as like a balanced team. But what a lot of people heard from that was we're going to break basic balance for the abyssal balance, which I don't think was what he meant. Yeah. I can see how, why that would upset people. It's like the tail wagging the dog. So um, right. the someone in chat mentioned that no one really seems to have an issue with Abyssal Dead Space Pocket, which they absolutely do because uh, the idea of instance PvP just freaks people or PvE just freaks people out. But he said that most people have, take issue with the RNG of the the mutaplasmids or whatever they're called. Um, Muck Barovian actually made a really good post on Reddit called "The Finance of Enchantment," yes. and uh, he kind of goes through how he suspects by looking at the stats that were released and the percentages and stuff, how he expects um, these mutaplasmids to, to work. And the, the TLDR is that there are going to be, uh, you know, a lot of people aren't going to run these things because it's, you know, not as uh, profitable as running sanctums in a super or something. So the, the, the level of player running this is going to be sort of the, the same type of person that does high sec missions or someone who doesn't, doesn't, you know, exist in like a, a very big alliance. Right. So they're going to just, it's going to be like smaller people running these sites and they're going to probably use it on their own stuff. And it's not really financially feasible to, to like, uh, I guess enchant, uh, since that's the cool hip word, to do it on a very large scale. That's not to say the Imperium, the Imperium won't try this. I'm sure they will. But it's not doesn't seem that viable to do. It's more viable in uh, uh, for solo people, like blinging out their ships, or even even people blinging out their ships for uh, the express purpose of running these uh, these abyssal dead space, like the level five sites. So is it a low second uh, feature? Is that what you're no, saying? It's, it's anywhere. Um, the biggest difference is, and this is one of the things that kind of came out from the season. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm asking. I'm not saying, does it occur in low sec? I'm saying, is it designed, is it a kind of a, a buff to the low sec 
pirates that that run in small fleets is that what it's designed to reward uh it it seems to be that's probably more along the lines of of where it's going to uh to be rather than like a large doctrine or a large nullsec block the the groups of like three or four people that that run pretty quickly i know casper had mentioned that uh you can make some game breaking uh fits but i mean I, i think it's definitely an improvement over uh what we had before right like no matter how big of a game-breaking single ship you have, I think it's always going to be inherently risky to do. Uh, and yeah. there's always a chance it's going to die. Uh, and Casper should know this uh, as well as everybody. It's a, streamer, it's a streamer buff, isn't it? Like, that's uh, going to be pretty good for them. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Because every step of the way is great for streaming. Running the sites are great for streaming. Enchanting objects is great for streaming. Using the enchanted objects is great yep. for streaming. Yep. Bard, you were going to say something? Sorry, I was just going to say, a lot of the people who have the negative reactions as well are assuming perfect roles, or at least assuming extremely good roles very often, which if you look at Muck's post, for him to get a decent role that he wanted was like 2.7% chance. So a perfect is pushing sub 1%, and that's assuming they don't alter the percentages of what you can get. Because when I asked one of the devs on there the other day, I think it was CCP Paradox, he said they are still tweaking it and they may completely lower the chances of high-tier roles. Yep, and, and uh, CCP Rise said that he, they can always adjust the, the result after the fact. So like if they decide that the maximum value is 18% instead of 20%, they'll just reduce everybody's role retroactively to fit. So there's a few uh, components to this. One is doing the missions, and then there's the converting of the loot, which is a whole different thing. And then there's the trade implications of how you trade these to other players. And then the last implication is what are the effects on the meta with having these things distorting your situational awareness when you're up against an enemy, you don't know what they have. Uh, My biggest problem with the trade part, if I could jump into that. Is that right now? It seems that all of, even from my uh, interview with CSB Rise, it seems that most of the focus is on from the buyer side of view, right? Like, oh well, I don't think this is going to be easy enough for you know doctrines to be made on it, or I don't know if people will be you know harvesting enough to support the alliance or something like that. But what what actually concerns me is from the supply point of view, right? So if I got a cool module and then I want to sell it, there is no infrastructure in the game to showcase that my module is better than everybody else's module in any way. The best I can do is put it on a contract with every other Abyssal module that are all named the exact same but have slightly different stats and then possibly post it in Jita or somewhere else in order to try to get people to be interested in to get. So marketing these things is going to be a whole different career that isn't really talked about. The only other example of that that I can think of is like old school drugs where, it, you know, you could yeah. produce drugs, but then it was actually hard to get them to market. We're talking about in-game drugs, by the way. <laughs> yes. I'm talking about the drugs in the old in-game drugs in the old system when there was still contraband. So you couldn't actually have them or use them. In, or yeah. You, it used to be the drugs in the game, which you used to stimulate your character to perform even a little bit better with some drawbacks. Uh, those used to be illegal, so you couldn't actually cross Empire space with them, or you get confiscated. Uh, you get it confiscated and stuff. So but more you had importantly, drug you couldn't dealers. sell them on the market. Yeah. Oh. Which okay. made it, or I 
I think. I, either way, I remember because Lockfox spent a lot of time doing drugs and he he mastered the production scale. In the game. But then he couldn't actually, yes. In the, <laughs> boosters. We're going to say boosters. Yeah, I'll say he boosters. Booster production. Um, and then when he was trying to get it to market, he couldn't maintain a large enough clientele to move it. I think that you're going to see a lot of that now where enchanters are going to actually have a difficult time making a name for themselves or getting their product actually sold. Yeah, and I think Dirk McGurk hits on a point here that I was going to raise too. And that is maybe the trust thing comes back. Like right now you don't need a Kriba to sell a super cap anymore, but maybe now you need a trustworthy dealer of goods that are unique. And so now, is- now you build a brand name based on your trustworthiness. One of his Com- comments a little further up hits it even more of third party developed uh, dev developing an auction house. Right. And I asked CCP Rise whether or not the details of Abyssal mods would be in the API. And he said that that's, that would definitely be a good solution to the problem, but he's not sure and he didn't seem very convinced that it will be that way for release. So maybe by the time the new kill marks come in, because I know that the new kill mails are also going to hopefully have the abyssal details where the old kill mails won't. So maybe hopefully in that time period, they'll figure out a way to properly organize that data in a way that can be consumed by the API. And in that case, it, it solves the problem. It, it, then players will build their own player markets and it'll be really cool. Um, but until then, it's going to be a pain in the butt. Com- compare this for a moment for me to Blueprint Originals. Because bl- players have learned over time to look at Blueprint Originals and to, to see which ones are are completely brand new and which ones have had some uh, varying levels of research applied to them. And they see that in contracts and they purchase them accordingly. Is that is that a relevant com- comparison point? It is, but I would say that the difference is, is that buying a blueprint is a big deal. Like you, you sort it by price, you can get a general, and you also kind of know what you want. You either want a 2010 or you want, you know, you're willing to give up this sort of stuff. We're talking about if I'm looking for an abyssal microwarp drive and I go to the contracts and I say, I want an abyssal microwarp drive, I'm going to get millions of these things and they're all going to be slightly different. And, and the more important thing is I'm going to have to do that every single time I get a new ship that has an abyssal microwarp drive, if this is the method that I want to do it. Whereas with a BPO, you do it once. So you're really careful. Okay. All right. So that's the, uh, the trading among players of it is 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 new and interesting. The uh, converting it is new and interesting. Freelancer just brought up one more thing that I want to touch on specifically, which kind of got dodged in all of this, which is that there are actually three different kinds of mutaplasmids, right? One has a low effect, one has a better than normal effect, and one has a high effect. So a lot of those extremely high options that people are thinking about that break it are going to require the most expensive mutagens from the hardest sites with the best luck. What's going to end up happening is if anybody does it for the practical, then they're going to go for the ones that are slightly better but have a higher chance of being slightly better. So having something that's slightly better will actually be not too difficult. But those really extreme ones, those are going to actually be way harder than, than whatnot because even the base mutagen that's required is going to be different. We're focusing a lot on the the mutoplasmids and stuff like that, but that's also that's not the I guess the the only thing that comes out of these abyssal dead space pockets. We also get the Triglavian ships and the special Triglavian ship weapon, which is pretty nifty as well. I don't remember the names of them. There's a, a cruiser, a frigate, and a battleship, and their weapon type is kind of special. 
and that Tropic is, Disintegrator. Yeah, there you go. It's got a, a cool ass name. B, you can only fit one of them. Um, and C, it kind of ramps up as long as it stays in the exact range that it has to be. Uh, if you go, well, not exact range, but as long as it stays within okay. a certain range, there's no fall off. The fall off is basically zero. So if you go outside of the fall off, the uh, gun stops firing and all that ramp up that you had, which kind of just builds uh, increasing damage, uh, just goes away and you have to start over. These things yeah. are going to be so good at bashing structures. Right. You're going to be good at bashing structure and things like uh, things that don't move very fast, like lone rorquals or uh, capital ships or yeah, anything. Like Anti-dread bombs. Yeah. Well, anytime, anytime in which the fight is really long. Like if you can guarantee a stalemate for at least two minutes, because that's about the battleship takes about a minute to two minutes to ramp up in full damage. But if you can hold the field in a stalemate that long, you're definitely going to have a significant advantage. That might become a tactic, right? Like keep prolonging the fight. Sure. For whatever and that's, that's what I love about this because right now burst is such a powerful solution, right? Whoever's burstier is often really strong because you take out a couple key people and then, you know, you basically snowball from there. Having the, this is almost a Marian in nature, right? Like I'm plated and tougher than you and it doesn't matter. And eventually I'm just going to beat your pants in. Hmm. Uh, Dirk McGurk brings a question up about uh, the stuff, the mutagens or the mutated uh, modules playing a factor in AT, Alliance Tournament. I'm reasonably sure. I'm not 100% sure because it was uh, kind of an early morning thing that I had to only uh, listen to part of. But I, I think they said that they would not be allowed in the Alliance Tournament. And uh, for obvious reasons, that would uh, be pretty miserable. But even like the some of the best stuff isn't allowed in the alliance or like six percent implants uh, aren't allowed for for similar reasons just because it'd be yeah. way too expensive for the boosters too aren't allowed right yeah exactly boosters aren't allowed uh, drugs i think they want a, a level playing field you know then it comes down to skill rather than having all kinds of other factors but and I don't okay. know, actually, um, Carnaros asks, uh, will the Triglavian ships be allowed in the Alliance Hornet? I have absolutely no idea, actually. I think a lot of this, we're going to have to wait until they put the rules out. Carneros, uh, is that ESP? How'd you put that thought into his mind? <laughs> I used my ESP. It was, it was awful. Very interesting. It's gleaned from, uh, yeah. from his looks. You can tell, in, tell in, by the, uh, yeah, the sparkle in his eye. My <laughs> drag name is Dark Phoenix. <laughs> All right, so we're almost out of time. I did want to get to PI. Are these changes going to help out? Uh, okay, so I, I actually posted a video um, of me going through my PI colony with the new changes. Um, I mean, it's definitely an improvement. It's going to be better when it comes to like those people that accidentally don't finish their setup, like don't link something. It's way more obvious when something is wrong. Um, it's also a little bit easier to put things up because you can stamp out multiple things at one time or sorry, the same thing multiple times and you can link up everything kind of at one pass without a bunch of clicks. But really, um, I didn't feel too much different when it came to actually my adjustment of the PI. Oh, it, it functionally felt exactly the same. The only difference was that the slider was a little bit easier to work with and I knew when things were turned off. Is that skill where you can see the concentration of uh, uh, minerals on a planet any better than it was? Because it seemed like that was... I don't think it's anything different at all. I don't think that's mm -hmm. changed at all. And this isn't, is it, this isn't all the changes. Are there more changes or are the changes up on Test Center? 
So uh, this is all, from my understanding, this is the changes that are coming in this expansion. But they've also made it a really big, they, they've stated, so you remember when they redid corporation roles a few years ago? And they said, this is just the over a UI overpass or overhaul. And then we're going to look into whether or not there's any mechanical changes that need to be made. Yeah, same, yeah. same tune. So we'll see. I don't know exactly what happened, but they didn't finish what we thought we were going to get. Uh, we thought we were going to get a change to how groups are organized, talking about societies and stuff like that, but they ended up just pushing all that back. Right. And with PI, we were thinking a lot of stuff too, like prefabricated factories. So that way you can just design it once and then move it around because moving around your factories is like one of the most annoying things, um, you know, or very stuff like that. It seems like they fixed a lot of the wrong problems, um, mm. but... We'll focused on the clicking, right? Like click, click, click. That was but even the... then, like what's funny, okay, so the thing that gets me is you want to get about clicking, but yet I still have to click on every single extractor head in order to put it out, right? So there's eight extractor heads total. So I put, put down a brand new extractor, and then I want to be able to extract with it. I need to click eight times, one on each extractor head, in order to put it out. There's no button that says put out all the extractor heads that I have room for, which would make it into one click. So if you're trying to save clicks, there you go. That's, that's, your, that's your point. If it gets... Carnarus, go ahead. Well, my, my impression of how to fix this is to keep Helmar playing with PI. Yeah. <laughs> once the new changes roll out and he sees that, okay, there's still polish that needs to be applied here, that you know, he'll, be, he'll do it. It's like when CCP Soundwave moved into the wormhole. And then we got a bunch of changes. And can I just yeah. say that that was like the worst way to sell it to me? At That's least. happened before. Hold on, we'll come back to that. I wanted to say this: the thing is, for everybody who says I want more and more ease with PI, that means more and more people will get into it, which means your pricing will fall down. So you have to look at it from that option as well. Whenever I uh, lose a jump freighter, which is very rare, but it happens, I'm actually kind of, <laughs> I'm actually kind of happy because I make those jump freighters. So I like knowing that those things are getting knocked off the market. So people will need to replace them. Same thing with PI. Everything that works for you works for everybody else. And there are a lot of people who don't want to do PI because it is too difficult. So imagine that you have a little bit of a corner on that market until it breaks open and everybody uses it. So you don't really want that to happen. Completely. I've got two things to say about that though. One, yeah. it is an Omega feature. It's actually one of the only things that are completely locked out from alphas. Alphas can't even play with it. Um, so as a premium feature, I feel that it should feel like a premium feature. Like if somebody pays for it and then gets into that, they're going to feel like their Omega choice possibly was a mistake. But the other thing is, is that the difficulty isn't just working with the UI. It's the fact that there is, this, there is a huge consistency issue with it when it comes to PI. If you can do it daily, then great. But as soon as you stop showing up every day, as soon as you stop maintaining things, as soon as you make the decision to set it to one week instead of one day, you're going to be making, uh, you know, you're going to be making a lot less. Mm -hmm. So I think that the difficult, this idea that PI should be obtuse is a misnomer. The difficulty should be in the, the consistency of being a foreman. Well, it's not difficult. It's just boring. And so if you make it faster so it's less boring, it becomes more pervasive. If it becomes more pervasive, the prices go down. And that might be great because structurals would be a lot cheaper. Maybe not a bad thing. I think um, the key is, is that like when I'm ratting, if I get bored of ratting, I get, I'm angry at ratting. When I'm doing PI, I get angry at CCP because, because it's their interface. It's not the, it's not the, 
life, the, the, it's not the profession that's frustrating me, it's the interface. The thing is, you've got to remember, it's also a passive money maker. So if you make it too easy, where you can copy and paste a template over planet to planet on a tune, across an account, across multiple accounts, then you basically make it into something similar for some as SP farming, and they will just spin up endless more tunes to farm it. I'd be willing to do it if I didn't have to drag my ass all the way back to that same system each time. If I could go into a remote mode and do it as if I were at home, but from my deployment zone, then I would do it. But I, I can't. Say, Too restrictive. Well, I would I, say that, uh, that if they moved it to uh, a mobile app, then that would be your problem, matter all. That would make it too accessible. <laughs> yeah, Cardinero is super happy about that. I would do that. <laughs> I would do it if it were a mobile app. Yeah, when I was on the CSM like a bajillion years ago, that's uh, when PI was first coming out. I remember um, CCP Unifix saying like, "Yeah, you know what? Maybe one day we could put stuff like this on the uh, on the mobile on uh, like a mobile app or something, so you could take care of your reactor farms uh, just on the way home." But you need that login experience. Like, uh, well, I did login PI for your stuff, right? But not to yeah, that. yeah, that's true. Oh, I see what you're saying. Not to map, not to set it up, but to pick it up. Yeah. Yeah, and that makes sense. And I really think it's a regrettable idea that Omega's, sorry, that Alpha's can't do one planet or just a little bit. I think people were terrified that they would use Alpha's to, you know, make a hundred Alpha's doing PI and that would just destroy the market. But they, they maybe do just a fraction of it to give them a taste of the gameplay and that's an incentive to do more. And the skills allow for that because... You can make it so they can only have one command center. You can make it so that their scans are super inconsistent. Right. You know, if you if you force them to only have like level one or two in most of the CPI skills, they're not going to be very effective PIers, but they're totally at least agree. going to be able to see it. Yeah, totally agree with that. Uh, so I don't like doing this, but I'm going to go back to Bard because I really wanted to hear his real world experience playing with uh, Abyssal Space and what it's been like on the test server. Bard? Okay, so... There's a fair bit of variation in it, and some people have said that they can run Gila's in the level fives. However, I've struggled with it. So clearly, the skills of your ships come into play. Um, the variation in the five sites is quite nice. Having I don't know, there's one that gives fifty percent shield bo boosts. There's one that gives tracking reduction, so on and so forth. And it does make you think about which ones to go into. Then you get in, you've got, obviously, you get the weather effects, and then you get the localized effects, which on top of it also, I don't know entirely how many variations they are, but they bar, bar the tracking one when you get the drifters, it's kind of ignorable. Um, the drone ones sometimes spawn completely out of the way, so they really don't make a difference. Um, I guess a bit of advice there would be to move them in. Uh, the tracking ones, as I say, if if you end up with drifters and you get near one of these tracking things, you are pretty much screwed. Um, they'll hit for like 1,000 dam damage a hit. And then obviously you do get the variation between what you get, which is complete drone waves, a rogue drone battleship with some drones, and then drifters. And as you go up the higher levels, you get more of these drones. You get battleships along with stasis web drones and nuke drones. And then the drifters get more hit points that haven't already been taken away because they come part damaged. When they get more hit points, it's obviously going to take you longer. They 
have energy newt ones with them they have web drone web ones and it makes it pretty hard to do um I guess the only issue is it's still relying on those classic Vexa and Vexa Navy issue and Gila platforms when you go in. It could really do a bit of a change up. But it, I think going back to what Ashtarofi said earlier, it does show, it doesn't tell. Oh yes, and Dark Savant in the comments brings something up. They put Scram drones in there, which are completely pointless because you can't warp out. You don't even need to use an MWD in the sites. You can uh, afterburner your way through each room. There's all three rooms. You can do it in sub-15 minutes, and you've got a 20-minute timer. That is so, one thing that is very important to note. When you start an Abyssal site, you will either finish it on time or die. There is yes. no other option. Or it will finish you. But are you having fun, uh, Bart? Yes. It's better than running... Ratting sites, it's better than running a level four mission because it has that change. Although some of it is not as much, you know, as I say with the localized effects, they're kind of ignorable unless you get very specific ones. It still does play that change into it where you do think about it more. You have the variation, um, you know, that you take a certain ship in with the drifters in there and you're going to get destroyed, but you take the same ship against the drones you won't get straight. So it makes you think much more so than classic level fours and ratting does, which is definitely the way to go. And I do enjoy it. And how, how does the time commitment feel? Like, does it feel like you can do this in 15 minutes and kind of get out kind of thing? After you, you can do it in sub 15 minutes. Um, when I first believed it was a 15 minute timer, not a 20, I was timing it online because they didn't add the timer in the top left at the time. And I was still coming out with six minutes to spare. Like, you, you can do it in sub-10 minutes, pretty much. But I mean, well, from what level were you doing? What level was that? Freeze. Okay. okay, so from preparation, like I'm a guy, I log in, I want to do something real quick and get out. Okay. How long does this take? Seconds. Yeah. Undock, you, warp to your point, use the shard, get in. Yeah, and then you've got the however long it takes you to spend through it. So they, and yeah, it, it's sub 20 minutes to do it all. So it's very accessible very quickly. Yes. Um, and can, the other and thing, can be done in less than 10 minutes. Okay. And yeah, it very if you, much encourages you to, to keep going, right? Because one of, the, one of the rewards is shards. And so the chances are you might get a shard that's better or something like that. So it's kind of like, here's the one for the next one, you know? So yeah. chain together nicely. That's pretty true. I, you know, I'd get a shard in one site. I'd, I'd go into the first one. I'd use the level one shard. I'd go in. I'd get a couple more level ones. Then I got a level two, and it's like, fuck it. I'm not going to dock up when I get out. I'm just going to jump back in. And then you get a level three, maybe a couple after, and you just keep chaining it. It does get sort of addictive, but not a bad addictive, if that makes sense. So nobody's going to spend uh, 48 hours in their chair. Without. No, you, you you will eventually like give up, but it's it is what Ashtrophy said in the way that you can chain it when you come out. Like you can jump out of one straight into another. So yeah, I can see people jumping out and chaining it the whole way up because it has that encouragement to go straight back in. I think this is going to be very interesting to see, guys. I think this is going to be quick, quick little bites of entertainment. I love the submersive. Look, if you've seen we, some of the videos that we've been showing there, it's really beautiful in there. Uh, so it we'll is. see. 
I mean, seeing it in the videos doesn't even do justice because you're not seeing the person turn it the whole way, but they've, they've really changed up the looks for it. Even, I believe they said it was using current stuff in the game. Mm. So last question, how does one get started with this? I believe uh, you, sorry, uh, you go. Like on Singularity or, or once it comes live? Well, Singularity might be different than live, but what's it like on Singularity? Uh, originally, they seeded to everybody a bunch of filaments just to get started, um, but they were all level one filaments. From my understanding, they actually have now seeded all of the filaments up to level five on all of the mm-hmm. uh, on the market, so that way we can just play with them. Yeah, they said how it's gonna how you're gonna be able to get involved with it in. Uh, yeah, so the level point. one filament is going to be your entry point. It's sold by NPCs and can be got through a, a exploration. Higher tier filaments drop in the actual sites themselves. So like tier one will lead to tier two, so on and so forth. And as CCP Rise point uh, said in the thing, they originally thought about the fact that like staying in fours and fives will be a struggle, but they're actually pulling back from that conceptually. And so effectively, as long as you're not dying a lot, because remember, if you die, you lose everything because, you know, whatever, that's the way of it. So if you're not, as long as you're not wasting filaments by dying in fours and fives, you should be able to chain them pretty well. Okay, but these things aren't going to appear in our cargo, right? Do we buy them off the market? Uh, yeah, so like I said, level one filaments will be either able to be bought on the market or gotten through exploration, and then higher tier filaments will be picked up in the sites. Yes. Um, another note, obviously, you kind of touched on it our astrophy with the rise has said you should now be able to chain them. Doing a level two does not guarantee you get a level two filament. You could get to a level three and just get level one filaments and be right back at the start. Yes, but he did stress the fact that that probably isn't going to be the case. They they thought about that, but they didn't want it to be like I'm running level fives and yet still having problems keeping enough filaments for level fives. The idea is, is that if you're running a level uh, and you're being successful at it, chances are you will have enough filaments to be able to at least stay in that level. So there are five filaments, and again, you start at one or two or whatever. You no, buy them way more than five. There's 25 different filaments oh, there. there's five different sets of weather effects. Right. That's so, one of the biggest things yeah. that we learned when it, was, when it was released, which is that that base thing, the weather effect, is actually selected by the filament, which is understanding all of this, because that means that they can always release new filaments with different effects, right? Mm-hmm. They could even have short, short-lived filaments for like a weekend event or something like that. But either way, so there's five different filaments. Each one kind of sets the, the basis so there's either usually one effect and then like a damage type that it makes better. And so which, which filament you choose um, is which one you go into. And now, uh, Bard, you might be able to confirm this. It seemed to me that whichever filament that you went into strongly influenced which plasmids you got. But at the same time, they've also said that all the loot tables are fake right now. So I don't know. I, I believe it did influence it because doing gammas for... Near on six hours, I didn't see a single Triglavian ship, and then jumping into a dark, that's all I saw for another hour. Well, I meant like the mutaplasmids. So oh, I, yes, I I'm went just on about loots entirely. But yeah, yeah, I went into the firestorm ones, and I was getting a lot of like armor reppers and arm, you know, plates and all that kind of stuff, and not very much shield bonuses because that the the uh, the environment itself is bonus to armor. Yes. So it seemed like I was in the armor 
zone and it was giving me better armor stuff. That's one of the things I know. All right. There's a lot of conversation to have. We're going to have it uh, after show inside of the TIS Discord. We'll talk about this and other things. Feel free to join TIS Discord. Uh, we talk about this kind of stuff all the time. We have like a topic of the day. People go at it. Uh, a lot of people with experience and uh, some senior voices. So we will call it a show today and we will have to pick it up next week where we take on a new topic. I want to thank Ashtarathi and Bard for coming in and telling us about all this great stuff. And Carneros and Elise for joining us. Thank you guys very much. I want to also thank Rath Katan, Ray Silent, Whimsical, and Mr. Terrigan for their subscriptions. Thank you guys. And if you want to help out, uh, you can go to talkinginstations.com to see how you can support the show as well as check out older episodes there. Okay, so that's talkinginstations.com. Thank you guys for listening once again this week. That's all for us. We will see you next week on Talking In Stations. Talking In Stations.